Ready? Yes. And welcome to episode 109 of the Right for Your Life podcast. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. Sounding and very bubbly and excited. You did sound bubbly and excited. Are you bubbly and excited? No. That's a shame. <laughs> I can be. I'll try to be. I just, it was, um, yeah. Well, you were doing a very good job until then. <laughs> <laughs> I've already killed it. Great. No, I'm fine. How are you, Ian? Yes, I'm very well got lots to it's been a very busy week got a lot to say and catch up on and talk about and we've got some interesting things i think coming up in the next 45 to 50 minutes definitely have um our main topic is going to be the publishing process something that i've not i've t- we talk about endlessly very specific parts of it that's kind of the whole shebang but i don't think i've ever actually sat down on the internet and written about or talked about exactly what happens, the whole process of being published. And I'm talking about being published in the traditional way, not not self-published. I don't have any experience of that, not not properly anyway. So I, I'm not going to be talking about that, but just the, the kind of the, the whole s- steps that you go through, getting an agent, um, what do they do, how, how do you go about getting a publisher, what's the process, and then what happens once you've got a publisher. So that's going to be our main topic. If you've ever wondered how it works... Um, or you've been through it and wondered, was that was that normal? Then hopefully we might be able to answer some questions. Absolutely. Then we have a listener's question at the end. And um, I've not discussed this with you, but let's do it on, on air. Um, I've gone for Mark Nash, who is at 21st C Scribe on Twitter. And he asked, uh, is there any appetite for experimental fiction in the industry? Well, he's actually written, is there any appetite for experimental fiction in industry? Now, I don't think he means kind of like in in steelworks or anything like that, <laughs> or kind of the engineering business. Oh, I was thinking about the film The Machinist. Have you seen that? No. Okay, yeah. I can just imagine. Um, it'd be good to, to read a bit of experimental fiction if you work long shifts in a factory. Probably. Need something to distract you, I suspect, from the monotony. <laughs> That's yeah. my experience of factories. It was fairly monotonous. Very brief period of my life. What did you do in the factory? Well, I'm glad you asked. I, <laughs> um, I've had two factory jobs. The first one was for a business who made fire extinguisher brackets for the Ministry of Defence. And I hope I've not leaked any <laughs> vital details when I say that. So I didn't even make the fire extinguishers. I made the fire extinguisher brackets. And I actually, I didn't make the fire extinguisher brackets. I made one very small metal component of the fire extinguisher bracket. Mm. And the second job was working for um, um, a textiles company. And I was cutting out materials to patterns which sounds it sounds like it, there was some kind of skill involved there was no skill involved but i do remember oh, but were where there it, blisters involved no blisters from what i remember i remember it being very hot and i remember wearing an exp- this was back in the day when well it was the 90s and um, it was when i was considerably more active considerably fitter and i do remember wearing an inexplicably small pair of shorts and um, i don't know if it was socially acceptable but i felt it perhaps was at the time well, it livened things up a bit there, I should imagine. There were those running shorts, you know, the running shorts with the kind of the slits at the side. Yeah, they were always very flappy and never really covered anything. I wore I myself. Felt. Well, they, you're absolutely right. And oh, uh, but I know why they're good for ventilation. That's why you had them on. They're good for sprinters, long distance runners, and people who work in hot factories. Absolutely. Um, I should just mention at this point that one of my friends had a factory job where. Um, little bits of broccoli and cauliflower came past her on a conveyor belt and she well, had like, to take... Well, in, in waistcoats, dancing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, she had to pick out bits that, that didn't look right. And she said that in a day, she might get one or two bits in the entire day. Goodness me. I mean, there are a lot of people who would just kind of put their... Put, just stretch their arms across the conveyor belt and sweep the whole lot off in protest. <laughs> oh, great. Well, this is... Um, an, an enormous tangent we've taken already. Um, 
so yeah i guess we should get back to it should we we should oh, can i just tell you a little writing thing that happened to me this week of course you can this we- is the best place for it oh i guess it is yeah um yeah a funny little thing happened this week where i wrote um an article for a magazine and um when it came out my name wasn't on it <laughs> the person who'd sent it into the magazine for um for me their name was on it the person- a little mistake the person who said, oh, so someone emailed it on your behalf and... Yeah, I was just doing it as a favour for somebody, writing it as like a little extra job and um, and somebody was gathering up and sending it in and their name got put on it. And I was completely fine. I was like, oh, that's, that doesn't matter. It's not, not a bother. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, it's a bit of a shame. Would you be annoyed if your name wasn't on an article you'd written? I thought I'd be furious. But would, would you? Was it an online article? No. Mm, tricky. I, I think I'd be a bit miffed. Yeah. But, you know. I just let it let it wash over me. But, you know, I mean, technically, it's a, a, a bit of writing that I've got out there in the world that nobody knows about. Well, maybe it'll be discovered at some point in the future. Yes. Maybe uncovered. Sell for millions. Sorensen uncovered. <laughs> it's very exciting at work at the moment you know I'm doing the Eurovision Song Contest I don't know whether everybody knows about the Eurovision Song Contest that listens to the podcast it's the world's biggest song contest um, and it's going to be down the road from where I live in a week and I've been working very hard on that it's all very exciting you know I'm going to get glammed up next week and I'm going to go along you're going to you're going along I've got a special accreditation pass and everything well how exciting I know I will be sure to uh, tweet and um, and uh, yes, Instagram pictures from backstage. I look forward to that. Oh, will you? Have you ever watched it? Yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not 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 every year, but I've, I've, you know, I'm aware of what happens. It's it's a massive beast. Imagine just just picking up that show and moving it to a new country every year. It's enormous. Yeah, it must be. It must be pretty. I mean, and, and of course, the reason that you're involved in this is because because uh, it's in Denmark, yes. Yeah. And I work for Visit Denmark, so um, yeah, it's been very interesting. There's going to be a lot of people here next week from all over the the place. It's even popular in Australia. Imagine. Imagine that. Um, yeah. So anyway, so that's why I've I've not done any personal writing um, this week, but I've been doing a lot of a lot of uh, Eurovision related. Jazzy things. Marvelous. Have you done any writing? I've done a, a, a small amount of writing on the new novel, um, but one of the things that I did publish that I wanted to talk about this week was an article on the blog, um, which is you know very meta. Oh, yes. My blog, ianbroom.com slash blog, and it's called um, f- uh, find. What is it called? Finding a new kind of normal. So I wrote this long article about how, which it covered a lot of the things that we've talked about on the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, don't bother reading it. It's pretty much all the nonsense I've been talking about. <laughs> but it's um, about sort of becoming a new parent and have, finding it difficult to have the time or the energy to write and how people sometimes make writers feel guilty by telling them that they're not really writers unless they write every day. And I argue that those people should have my twins for a couple of weeks and see how they get on. Um, so, yeah, so I do go and look for that. That's on the blog. It's uh, called Finding a New Kind of Normal. Um, I wanted to mention the fact that I am doing a masterclass. So this is my first ever masterclass. Now, the word masterclass, I think, is perhaps pushing it a little bit. <laughs> but um, that's what that, that's what Writing Yorkshire are calling it, because they're kind of hosting the whole thing. And, uh, and it's about how to build an online platform. So if you are anywhere near Sheffield or the Yorkshire area, or you in the UK and you like to travel, then do come to uh, do buy a ticket. You have to pay for it, I'm afraid. Um, and it's uh, you can find it on. Uh, I've written about it on my blog, but you can find it also on uh, the Writing Yorkshire blog. I'll put it in the show notes, which you can find at five by five tv slash wfyl slash one hundred nine for this episode. So um, yeah, it's about do how to Writing build Yorkshire have a physical base. They do have a physical base, yes, it's true. Is it a writing centre type setup? It's not quite at that stage yet. It's Bank Street Arts in Sheffield, which is where the where the uh, the workshop will take place, um, and it's it's a shared kind of um, space in Sheffield for different creatives and artists and stuff. 
Sounds good. The other thing to talk about I want to just quickly mention is the Luke Bitmead Bursary, which is a competition launched several years ago by Legend Press, who published my novel Ace for Angelica. And it is, I don't have the information in front of me, which is ridiculous, but it's, um, it is apparently the largest kind of one-off bursary or comp- writing competition of its kind. And the winner uh, is for novelists. So if you're a novelist and you want your novel to be published, you might want to submit it to the Luke Bitme bursary. And I believe you will win, if, if you win, uh, I think it's £2,500 and a publishing contract, um, which is a fantastic prize two fantastic prizes all in one and um now, i don't i don't want to put a, a damper on that but i thought it said 25 grand <laughs> it's not that good of a prize two and a half grand is amazing it's very it's it's yes it's very good <laughs> it's, it's really impressive that legend have got the the biggest um one-off bursary for unpublished writers that's fab yes i will look up the information at some point and just check that that's true but it's something along those lines um, I will include a link to that in the show notes as well. And um, very lastly, I bought a URL today for an idea that may or may not come to fruition, but I hope it does. And um, I'm not going to say the URL because I've just realised if I do, someone might go and nick all the other versions of it. <laughs> but it's brilliant and it's for writers. And uh, keep your eyes peeled. That's it, finished, updates done. Brilliant. You've what, been busy. I've been busy, been well busy. Um, right, news, 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 articles and stuff. Tell us, what are you? What do you want to talk about first before we get onto our main subject? What's, what's caught your eye? Well, I can tell you what's caught my eye. I don't really have anything particularly newsy, but um, I just wanted to mention that I got um, drawn into the, to the world of um, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath this week, just reading um, an article about their daughter, Frida Hughes, who I knew, I knew she existed, but I was not aware that she was uh, a poet herself published by Blood Axe Books. I don't know if you were aware of that. Uh, no, I did not know that. Um, so I was, I was very intrigued. Um, and the article that I was reading um, was mentioning the fact that she had not written, she'd not even read a book, she said, for four years um, after she had a very serious um, episode of M.E., um, and depression and that it was poetry really that brought her back because it was something bite-sized that she could manage in small chunks um I think the way she described it was that it was when the world was like small passages and she would just be awake for four hours in a day and that was it that was how bad it was for her um I just thought that was a really interesting idea because poetry I really th- think is something which is very accessible in short bursts, you know, and amazing that um, that that's brought her back, considering her lineage. It's interesting that poetry, as in writing poetry, is always talked about as um, a cathartic process. Yeah, therapeutic. Yeah, you never, you don't really hear quite so much. I mean, I guess in general, people say writing is a, a cathartic kind of thing to do, but very rarely do you hear about novels being cathartic. But you know, almost yeah. it's almost you know, without fail, every time you know you get a conversation about poetry, people say that they write it because it's it's a release of some kind. It's kind of uh, yeah, a, a cathartic process think because you get closure because you're able to finish it it's an idea that you can start and finish um whereas you know if you're going to sit down and you're going to write a novel you're not going to you're not going to have the same amount of satisfaction necessarily in a short space of time but you might do if you write a particularly good section of a chapter or something you get there eventually uh-uh. and another interesting thing i thought was that she was talking about the fact that she'd not she'd had to give up writing poetry for a long long time because of the enormous weight of expectation on her because of her parents you know two extremely famous poets and we were talking about this just before weren't we I can't think of any any other writers that have two exceedingly famous parents that were writers no I I said Martin Amos and uh, Kingsley Amos but they don't fit that category they I don't I don't know what Mrs Amos did perhaps I should I don't know maybe I'm terribly ignorant It, it wouldn't be the first time that that was Leveled at me, but um, but I, 
I don't know how she how she could write anything. I would I can just totally imagine that you would just constantly feel that what you did would never be good enough. Imagine what it must be like. It must feel the same as kind of winning or having like an enormous success with your first book and then just feeling kind of completely unable to to reach that level with the second. Well, not even that you that you won't, but just that you don't want to try. I hadn't considered this before, but of course you have a very successful writerly mother. I do, and I, I I was considering that when I was reading this, but it's so different when when they write something that's so different to what you write. Like, I mean, I I have dabbled with children's stories, but I feel like my my world is poetry, you know, and um, and so I think that there's it's it's just such different things that we get to my mum and I we get to chat about writing process in general and the writing world in general and it's it's an amazing support and you just get so much out of it you know it enriches the whole process um i can imagine if my mum was a poet with 30 books of poetry instead of 30 children's books it would be a whole different ball game you're right hmm yeah it's i, I don't have that problem i really don't <laughs> no <laughs> but yeah that's that's probably freeing then you know you don't you think? You just um, do your own thing, whatever you want. Do you know, it's... It's, I, it's more... Um, I mean, my parents are terrifically supportive and, and and all that kind of thing. This is not a complaint. But I have the opposite problem, I think, where they don't really fully understand. They're very mm. proud of me mm. and all that, but they don't, I don't... Because it's not really their world at all... Um, they, they they don't really kind of understand, so it's quite difficult. Like all the everything you just said about the idea of support, I get support in the sense that you know just ask me how it's going, uh, that type of support. But th- th- there isn't there isn't that level of kind of engagement where we can sit down and have a chat about literature or you know the publishing process or anything like that. Mm. But it, yeah, no. I, I I would you like to have um, someone in the family that was a writer, or does it not matter to you at all? Um, well, it's been quite nice having you around. Oh, shucks. and and uh, and your and your mum, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. for listeners who don't know, is that we are we are related at a distance. Yes. Are we related? Not by choice. Not no, it wasn't our choice. Just kind of got thrown <laughs> together, didn't we? <laughs> so then, I guess in that sense, we are proper family. <laughs> Indeed. Can't choose your brother-in-law. No, you really can't. No. No, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's been fantastic having you in the family the last 10 years. <laughs> oh, this is getting very emotional. I like the way this is going. That's No, carry yeah. on. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that, that was just my, my little pondering there on, on, um, on expectation as a writer on your shoulders. It's always tricky, and especially tricky if your parents are Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. Absolutely. What's your little newsy bit, Bob? I'll keep it brief. I want to talk about, very briefly, about uh, an article by the designer, who is also a fantastic writer, uh, Frank Camero. His website is frankcamero.com. That's C-H-I-M-E-R-O. And um, he wrote a blog post called No New Tools. And I linked to it from Very Meta, the blog. And it's uh, essentially, it's this notion that we have an awful lot of choice these days when it comes to things like um, what type of writing software we want to use, what apps we want to use on our phones, for example, even for just something like keeping track of our um, a calendar app or something like that. We have different apps that we can write in on our iPad or on, a, on the phone or whatever tablet you use. And we try and make all these things sync up. There's lot, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing things. No longer do we all sit down at a computer and automatically, without thinking, open a Word document. I'm sure there are lots of people who do, but we we didn't used to have any other option. It was either Word or nothing. Um, and so he, this is this is kind of what the article is about. How we now have all of this choice, um, but actually, what's the what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of all this mm-hmm. choice? And all you really need as a writer, all you really need is um, a, a you know piece of paper and a pen or a screen and a keyboard, which is something that I've said lots of times before. 
And I wanted to mention this because I've talked about this a little bit in the article I just mentioned, um, finding a new kind of normal, how I'm writing more on my iPad and my iPhone even. I'm talking like fiction, you know, my novel, where I'm just... I'm so I've got so much uh, going on in my life at the moment with setting up a new business and having the twins and all that kind of thing that if I get half an hour then I'm whatever I can grab I will use to write and I previously spent quite a lot of time faffing around trying to work out well should I use byword on the mac or should i use i a writer on the mac should i use just stick with word documents or should i go for scrivener and i've sort of tested all these different writing applications write room there's another one and the reality is when it comes down to it all that all of them do is provide you with a screen and a space mm. to write and all of that faffing around is just ridiculous it's completely it's you get the same useless. output with a scrap of paper that you picked out of the bin and um, a bit of crayon. <laughs> yeah, well... But you could, seriously. I mean, you know, the other day I, I just wrote something down on a scrap of paper like that. I That's just what you need. You just need, to, you just need something to scratch on a bit of paper or a mirror if you haven't even got any paper. Absolutely. And to Anything qu- like that. To quote Frank, uh, to quote Frank Camero, "You are in a loop-de-loop of productivity, changing for change's sake." I made an agreement with myself in January: no new apps on my phone or computer. Don't do new stuff; just do your work. Text editor, spreadsheet, email, pencil, paper, Photoshop. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, um, I, I, it's good. I, I read it too, and I liked the bit when he said that he realised that he'd spent half an hour um, wondering what platform to write on or what how he should write that day instead of writing that, and I that was me that was I that was the bit because I, I posted oh, did, I, yeah I linked to this and I, I picked a quote out as I do and then I put my own little bit of commentary and that was me I said that I did I knew I got an hour spare <laughs> and I spent the first half an hour of it just think just messing around just thinking well what should I use to, what's the most appropriate thing to type onto I mean it's yeah crazy. I know it's ridiculous well I I've I had the same thing when I was trying to tile my book cover as my Twitter background. And I realised, because it was going wrong once, that I'd spent half an hour doing it one time. And I thought, why the hell am I doing this? Nobody's even going to look at that. Got to make it tile. You've got to make it tile. I know. (laughs) Anyway, so I just wanted to, I just thought that was a really interesting piece. I think it really resonated with me because I do it a lot, or I used to do it a lot. I'm doing it less and less. And it's just a good reminder that, you know, it's 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 kind of, I think, a more true version of writer's rights, that old piece of useless advice that um, that we that we talked about before. Um, whilst that kind of is kind of a useless piece of advice in the sense that writers write onto a computer, that's the bit that's true. Writers writing by word is true for some people, but it doesn't actually matter. It's the bit it's the writing bit that matters anyway. I, uh, I, uh, Great. I thought that was interesting. So let's uh, let's move on to the main topic, and Gosh. I will just take a brief pause to change to my notes. You are joking. I've You're going to waste everybody's time now switching between platforms. <laughs> well, I can't type into. I, I had the quote from Frank Camera in front of me. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't put my notes onto his website. He'd be furious, <laughs> and it's impossible. Um, yeah, we, we're just going to give a very general, brief rundown. Is it going to be specifically about how we went through the publishing process or the publishing process in general? I think I, I'd like to talk generally about the publishing process with some anecdotes thrown in for fun. Yes. Because... Well, I- yeah, go on. We had a different experience, and, and, and although there is kind of a fairly agreed path that people take to becoming published... Um, the reality is everyone has a different experience, which is why you have some people just saying, oh, I had a really terrible experience with traditional publishing and now I've gone, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather self-publish. Or you've had, or, or you've had, or you have people who have had fantastic experience and then you have lots and lots of people who are in the middle where some things are frustrating and some things are fantastic and you're delighted about them. But no, no one publishing process, I don't think, is identical but there are some agreed things that more or less everyone goes through. 
um, mm. and there are the things that I want to talk about. But it, it, I think it is interesting that me and you had different experiences, and of course, we different mediums. I have a novel published, and you have a poetry collection published. Absolutely, but then also before you know, many years in the past, I uh, as I just mentioned before, I was writing children's books, and I actually had attempted to get published back then. And I feel that that that's really interesting experience that I took in to later, even though it was a completely different type of writing and my poetry and a different way to get published. I just, I learned so much out of trying that and coming at it like very, very green. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and I was just putting together manuscripts and just trying to like send them out to different people and here, there and everywhere and just not really organised at all about it. So I think that was quite interesting that you, what you can learn from from rejection as well. You can learn a lot from rejection. Absolutely. And it's a, you know important to know that it's coming your way. It is. And Almost. it's easier said than done, isn't it? Just saying, oh, hey-ho, another rejection. It is after you've had a few. <laughs> yeah. The first one you kind of think, well, everyone gets rejected. And then oh, after yeah. you've had sort of 10 to 15, you think, oh, is this... This is something I said. See, that's funny that you say everybody, like, the first one you can kind of cope with because I was so naive when I did my first one. I was like, my God, they're going to do it. I just know they're going to do it, you know? I mean, I guess self-belief is a good thing, but it's a bit embarrassing when I look back because I was devastated by the first rejection. I just couldn't understand it. I was like, what? It's, um, yeah, I, well, self-belief and self-confidence is another interest it's i think it's tightly wound up with having a thick skin Hmm. it's a fine line and um they're both quite challenging things to have um Hmm. anyway so let's start to the start so i'm going to assume everyone that's listening to this hoping that this is going to be useful i'm going to start at the point where you've written a brilliant book or or a brilliant anything and you're ready to get it published so let's not I don't want to talk about how good your book should be or what type of book you should write that's all your decision and I'm going to assume that you're you, you've decided you want to get your book published and it's been your dream and you now have something and you want to make it happen so the first thing that most people need to do is get an agent and I shall start by speaking to you about this because you don't have an agent <laughs> Yet you have a published book. Why do you think that is? Poetry. I don't think many poets have agents. I think actually the way I've experienced the poetry world is that literary journals and editors of literary journals are, are the vital key here because even they're not agents, but they are certainly are kind of agents for okaying your work or being ambassadors for you if they like your poetry because they're going to publish you and they might publish you on more than one occasion and, you know, start talking to you about, about you to other people. Um, so I just, an agent, I mean, I don't know actually whether um, poets that have many collections published, if they have agents or not, but I don't know any poets with agents. No, it's a different kind of, I think it is, uh, I mean, you, I mean you, you, you tell us, but it seems to be a different kind of thing where you, where, poets will develop a reputation by getting individual poems published in journals and magazines and eventually that will snowball you'll get known and then you can approach a publisher and uh, or be put in contact with a publisher by kind of some kind of mutual um, friend or acquaintance and it it kind of happens in perhaps a more perhaps a more organic way than the than the the process that I for example I went through um, to getting my novel published I think it's a very satisfying way to get published if it if it works out because you feel that you can do different things. It's not like you're just writing a book, sending it off in the post and then sitting at home waiting to hear from somebody, either an agent or a publisher, because you... I feel almost like you have to put yourself into it full time. You need to be submitting and have a really clear plan of which journals you're sending uh, work to and you need to know what kind of journals publish what kind of poetry. Um, and that's really exciting, you know, because if, if you love writing poetry, you love reading poetry. So it's just immersing yourself in, in the world of online poetry and print journals. It's just, it's, it's, I really, really enjoyed that whole stage. I took two years where I was writing 
um, a lot of poetry, editing stuff, sending things out in chunks to different journals. And over those two years, I had a steady flow, happily, I can say, of, of poems published in journals um, until it worked up to a kind of mini collection of six poems in one journal, which was spotted by a, a publisher that they liked. And, and that's, for me, how it happened. Um, so, yeah, so just the fact that you can, you feel like you can be a bit more proactive because you can go out and you can do readings. You can go to the launches of these journals that you're in, you know, and you can be chatting with with so many different types of people from the whole industry. So I just feel like you can do more for yourself in the poetry world. And that's, I, I really enjoy that. This is true. But if you're in the world of fiction, then um, the de facto thing to do is to try and get yourself an agent. So, And that's really interesting you say that. Do you, th- you would definitely recommend that that's what you do rather than submitting. I mean, how many publishers these days do take people directly or take manuscripts directly? I am pulling this figure more or less out of my arse, but I, I imagine <laughs> um, very few and maybe less than 5%. Yeah. Um. There is some there is some element of again if you know the right person, um, so I suspect it could help. I mean I'm I'm aware of um, uh, kind of people who've worked for publishers, like as a as a as a publishing assistant or something like that, and have written a brilliant book. And you know they've got first hand, you know they're there they're in the they're in the office they can just pass mm-hmm. it to the right people. But generally speaking, if you're an unknown person like um, I was, I mean admittedly I did the MA and I'd had a couple of bits short stories published and that kind of thing but i mean i I was effectively very unknown i still am in tremendous amount of ways but um um in that situation which is most people's situation um you will have to the best thing to do is to get an agent for reasons i'm about to explain however at this juncture i am already aware that i have not even got to my first bullet point and (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> how many bullet points have you got i can all i can I, I can't count quickly but there are about 20 and we're already Health. well into the this episode and there are about you know there are less than 15 minutes left and we've got a listeners question so i think we can safely say that this whole this whole thing of talking about the publishing process which i think is going to be useful to people is going to continue into next week's episode but let's try and cover agents um in this episode before we get on to a bit more about the publishing process perhaps in episode two does that sound like a plan it sounds like a plan, yeah, because it's not... So, I mean, you know, it's it's important to explore why would things need to be done at different stages and how best to approach it. There's no point just reading out the bullets, eh? <laughs> it's true. It's not like a PowerPoint presentation where you just read what's on there and, <laughs> um, and just uh, wait for people to fall asleep. Um, okay, so yeah, my, my recommendation, I think most people's recommendation would be that you still need to get an agent. And I will come on to what they do in a second because that's my slightly longer list. But um, but rest, rest assured that getting an agent basically means that, if, that they will submit um, your work for you to publishers, and they know how to do that. They also know which publishers to send your work to, and they uh, can make sure it's in the right hands as well, the right editor. So it's not just a case of sending it to the right publisher. They will know specific people, partly because they've been to lunch with them several times to talk about other authors Um, and they will they will read your work and they will fall in love with it and they will say i know exactly who you need to work with to make this even better and to get it published and you as an individual just don't have that knowledge you even, even if you can do your research which i recommend you do to find a publisher that suits your type of writing that you think your book will really um flourish with um you don't have that personal one-to-one kind of knowledge of a specific editor who can who you should be working with and an agent can provide that Um, and of course there are all these things to do with rights and making sure that your contract and what you get from the publisher is fair and legal and completely in your interests as much as anyone else's and an agent has all the vast experience to do that so they're just some very obvious reasons for why uh, an agent is good so i will come on to more of those in a second and, and talk about exactly what they will do for you and in what order but and perhaps perhaps i may not even get to that before this end, end of this episode but this little section i can definitely cover so the idea of getting an agent what do you need to do how do you submit to an agent the first thing you need to do is 
research. So you need to try and research which agencies, much like the agent will help you out with a publisher, and you you yourself should have some idea of what sort of publisher you would be um, uh, interested in working with. Um, but you should definitely do that work with your agent as well. So you should have a look at different agencies. I recommend the book um, um, The uh, Artist and Writer's Handbook comes out every year it might be right writers and artists artists yeah, and writers not sure which way around that is but i'll put a link in the show notes and that just lists all the um uh, agents in the uk i'm sure there's a us equivalent i'll try and find out what that is um or you can let me know on twitter at ian broom um and 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 so you need to you need to choose some and i would choose a few because it takes a long time for people to get back to you I've had agents not get back to me at all. I've had agents not get back to me for six months. And I've also had agents get back to me within a couple of weeks. I should say that the agent that got back to me within a couple of weeks is the agent that I ended up with because they loved my work and it just I just knew it was right. If they were prepared to get back to me that quickly, then fantastic. However, that doesn't mean if your agent or future agent doesn't get back to you immediately that uh, you shouldn't go with them or that they're rubbish. It means that these people these agents are receiving hundreds of manuscripts all the time every week literally i'm not exaggerating with those figures and it's incredibly Mm. difficult for them to get through those in any kind of quick time especially when money is so tight in the industry at the moment so expect to wait expect be patient it will be worth it you can find an agent my agent is brilliant i love working with her she made my book so much better than it was when i first sent it to her and um and you know that wait could be worth it so what do you need to do to submit to an agent? Did you what, did you do this when you were trying, even with your poetry, you didn't do this, but mm. with your children's fiction, did you do the whole process of putting together a synopsis for your work, in my case a novel? Did you put together a cover letter and did you include an extract? Because they're the three things that you would usually send to a, a prospective agent. Yeah, I mean, in, in the case of picture books, you can just send the whole Bloomer manuscript. But yeah, otherwise I did, yes. And with agents too. Okay, so the, I, there I, are some children's publishers that just accept unsolicited manuscripts. That's why I was saying it's interesting to to see that you know with with in the adult novel world, not that kind of adult novel, but you know what I mean. That <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, it's all about the agent. I mean, it is becoming more and more about the agent as well in children's books, of course. But yeah, you can still get in directly. Well, in many ways, it's in in because of the self publishing boom the rise in self-publishing you know agents seem to be the ones that are copying a lot of the flack from the real kind of tub thumping um uh, sort of self-publishers who just say you know agents just want to take all your money they're not interested in you all that kind of thing i'm sure that's the case with some agents but i would say those agents are bad agents my experience has been the absolute opposite i i i i couldn't stress that enough there are some absolutely wonderful agents out there who whose complete focus is on making your work fantastic and getting you with the right publisher and getting your work out there. So just be cautious of too much tub thumping. So very (laughs) quickly, because we are definitely running out of time, um, very quickly, the three things that you usually need when you're submitting to um, an agent are a synopsis, a cover letter and an extract from your work. Very, very important check what each agency asks for so Mm. some agencies will ask for three pages the first three pages of your book that's all we need some will say the first three chapters some will say 50 pages and the important thing to do if they do is if they do specify what they want for goodness sake don't send anything different if someone asks for three pages send them three pages don't send them five pages and say well i just wanted to send you more because that's actually when the first chapter finishes (laughs) Because I really like the bit that comes just after that as well. Yeah. Exactly, no. it's it that you you won't, it won't get read. You'll be on the list of people on that you know that huge list that goes. Oh come on, you know you've not you've not done the basics, which is which is do what we ask for. Now some people hate that. Some people think that's a real draconian. It's part of the reason people get frustrated with agents. It's like you know, well, why should they stipulate? Why are they the gatekeepers? Why do they get to choose? And, you know, it's because they're running the business and they know how much time they've got. They know they, they're experienced. They know how much they need to read to work, make it a, to make a, a decision whether they want to find out more. So whatever an agent asks for, do that. Um, very quickly, they will also ask for a synopsis. So a synopsis is not 
the blurb. The blurb, which you have on the back of your novel once it's published, is things like, ooh, come and have a look, it's exciting, which doesn't tell you anything about the book. I don't know why that was a particularly northern book um, <laughs> that I just read the blurb from. Um, that's that's the back of the book. That's like advertising. A synopsis is what tells an agent who may only have three pages of your actual novel. Um, the synopsis tells them exactly what happens in the book from start to finish. And it's um, it's a fairly matter-of-fact kind of document, and it's incredibly difficult to write. But it's important that you do explain, including the ending. Even if you have this amazing twist, amazing surprise, that you want to surprise, that you want them to read that, you want them to read the text and just find be, be surprised by your novel. Don't do that. That needs to be in the synopsis, because they need to take those three pages that you've sent them, or 50 pages, and then look at the synopsis and go, can this 50 pages, will it turn into a novel? Let's read the synopsis and see what happens later. And then they can make a decision about whether they want to see the rest of your work. Um, I have actually got my synopsis here in front of me that I was going to read, but we don't quite have time, and it probably isn't that important. (laughs) But basically, the first sentence is a complete spoiler, because in my first chapter, I allude to what happens later on, and so I, I had to mention that in my synopsis, and it kind of, you know, it's a bit of a, a proper spoiler alert. Cover letter. So you need to include a, a synopsis, which is about a page long, I should say that, usually. But again, if they ask for more or less, then do that. Cover le- um, uh, the actual work, which could be any amount, just do as long as, as much as they ask for. And then a cover letter, cover letter, cover letter. Sounds like a fairly simple thing to do. You just say, oh, here you are, here's my work, it's really good, I'd love you if you read it. That's not really what it needs to be. You need to include some specific information about um, about who you are and what you do. And I can, I've got mine in front of me. So this is the one that I sent to Tibor Jones, which is where Sophie Lamb, my agent, was working at the time. She has since moved to Cumberland Walsh. Um, but it, it, I started out, dear sir or madam, very formal back then, I recently completed Sheffield Hallam's MA writing and, ta- and attach with this letter the first five pages of my novel A's Frangelica and a synopsis. I am 20 year- 28 years old and have lived in and around Sheffield for nine years. By day I work as a copywriter for the workshop, not anymore, they made me redundant, the SODs, an award-winning design and e-learning company. And then I talk about um, the fact that I received a commendation when I was at university for one of the chapters. I perform my work around the country. A's Frangelica tackles specific themes such as age, illness and obsession. And then at the end, I've just, I thought it was useful to say, to make sure that the medical parts of the book are accurate. I worked with uh, a, a senior lecturer in speech therapy at the University of Sheffield. Looking at this now, this is quite long, and um, some of that was kind of extraneous. But it's important that you give some biographical information and, um, and some kind of specifics about what kind of genre you think it might be. So if you've written a thriller, it's good to kind of mention that in this cover letter. This is the point where I will point you to some useful resources. There's lots of stuff about this on the internet, as you might expect. Um, but I would like to point you to something that I've actually read and can, re- can recommend. Some of you may know about uh, Nicola Morgan already. So Nicola Morgan is an author. She's written lots of different types of book, actually. But she's certainly written some children's fiction, young adult fiction, various other things. But she also um, wrote, I don't know if she's still writing, actually, maybe. I know she stopped for a while. Um, a book called, uh, sorry, a um, a blog called Help, I Need a Publisher. Um, but and, and in that kind of guise, she wrote four books, and two of them are extremely useful for this process. The first is called Write a Great Synopsis, an Expert Guide. And the second one is called Dear Agent, Write the Letter that Sells Your Book. And those two books, which I will provide a link to in the show notes, um, are really, really good. They're really good information from a proper writing professional who's been through the process, knows what she's talking about, and um, and you really can't go wrong by following the guidelines in, in, in those books. And uh, they're both available as prints and, and e-books. Actually, no, I'm just reading it quickly now. They're both e-books, so they're e-book only. Oh, that's good. Uh, oh, she also wrote a book called Write to be Published. That's one of the other ones, which is kind of a—it's kind of what we're doing, really. It's kind of a big overview of the whole process, which I've also read and is very, very handy, very useful. So I'll provide a link to Nicola Morgan's site um, uh, as well. I'm taking a breather there to point out that we are pretty much at the end of the show, and we haven't even gone to what agents do. Never mind the publishing process. Ah, but that's you know step two: what agents do. That's that's going to be great next week. You should be a poet. 
<laughs> I can't wait to hear because I haven't got an agent and I never got one. Yeah, but you don't need to because you 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 do a different thing. You write poetry. I mean, all, I mean, I I don't. I didn't know all this kind of stuff that you just said about. Uh, I didn't really, you know, wasn't. I hadn't really thought about the notion of of how of, or how important it was to have all these kind of individual poems beforehand. I knew that that's what you'd done, but I hadn't really thought that because that's how you get known first. You kind of build your reputation yourself. But imagine if if. An agent had taken on my do dragon count sheet picture book, and um, what 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 would I be sitting here talking about now? We'll be having a different conversation, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm going to look at that text again we'd after probably, this. After we've recorded this, we'd, we'd probably still be talking about Game of Thrones, probably in more kind of with more vigor <laughs> because of you know, the dragon reference. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, is it time, Ian? It for is. The listeners, question. It is, and let me repeat it to you. I mentioned it earlier. This is a question from Mark Nash at, and on Twitter he is at 21st C Scribe. I presume the C is for century. And um, his question is this Is there any appetite for experimental fiction in the industry? What do you think? Wow, I'm sorry. I'm still thinking about the tangent we went off on at the start about, the, about industry and actually reading experimental fiction in factories. Um, my experience is that um, is very specifically Ireland, uh, where I lived for two and a half years, um, that there are a lot of fantastic literary journals that I feel are really supporting it, um, online and in print. So I think that there, there is, I'm not sure that there's a massive appetite for it, but there's certainly um, potential to, to have experimental fiction kind of published and small competitions and stuff um as i did not know that this was the listener's question i don't have specific examples but we can find them for the show notes i'm sure well um, I, ha- I have one i have a specific example oh um fantastic and i may or may not have mentioned this before on the podcast i've definitely mentioned it on the blog but um in general i think the answer has been and to an extent maybe maybe still is i think it's fair to say that i'm not an expert on experimental fiction and how much of it gets published so let's just say that before i carry on but um a book called um a girl is a half-formed thing by and i'm not sure how you pronounce this but it, I, th- I think it's an irish name so you can perhaps help me out help me out um Imer mcbride Emer. Emer. okay Emer mcbride um uh, her, her novel, uh, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing, which I'm reading at the moment, and I said yes last week that I was reading uh, this book that I was, I said I wasn't, I think I said I wasn't sure about it, or I found it, I found it, I was finding it difficult whilst enjoying it, I think that's probably more accurate. And the reason that I'm, I'm finding it a little bit difficult to read, and this is almost entirely because I don't get enough sleep, um, um, is is because the way it's written is really, really um, uh, unusual and experimental. And um, it's about a, a, a girl growing up in Ireland and her brother was born with a brain tumour or, or had one immediately after uh, after birth and it's kind of the fallout in her, her life. I mean, I'm only sort of 50 or 60 pages in, but that's, I think, the way it's going. Um, but the the sentences are, are, are not sentences. They stop in usual, unusual places. The words are all back to front. It's difficult to read at first. And I, I found once I sort of get into it and I've been reading it for 10-15 minutes then I settle down and I can kind of it kind of flows over you but it's it's tough it's it's tough to read but it's beautiful there are some beautiful sentences in there and when I say beautiful sentences these aren't sentences that you've ever seen before these are sentences that are come at you from nowhere because they're such unusual it's such unusual phrasing and the imagery is is kind of really powerful and distinct but it's because of the language it's because of the experimental nature of the way it's written um and it's an interesting book because it was published apart from that um is because it was published by uh galley beggar press which is um, um which was founded by sam jordison who's done a lot of book stuff for the guardian website and um and he's he's publishing some really interesting stuff and um this book he just you could tell i'm subscribed to the newsletter and you could tell when he announced it how much he just loved this book and this is very so this is very small press basically in the uk very new Mm. small press um Mm. a very small print run i imagine and basically this book has now won uh the goldsmith prize in the uk 
and mm. has now been shortlisted um, for what was the Orange Prize. It was shortlisted for the for is the Bayless Prize for uh, you know, women, for you know fiction written by women. So this is these are like top awards, and this this is experimental fiction, effectively. I think so, unless I'm completely misunderstanding the the no, I mean the term experimental fiction. But this is this is not your average book. It's I mean this it's very interesting, isn't it? Because it's this book. It must be stream of consciousness going back when you think about how long we have tradition of stream of consciousness stuff, and also particularly from Ireland with Joyce and everything. Um, I wonder, there's that type of experimental fiction, but also in terms of form, experimenting with form as well. Uh, yes, and that is basically what it does. It just, like I say, it just completely... It, oh, I, I, I mean, I mean, not, not in novels. I, I'm talking oh, okay. about much, much shorter types of fiction. I see, I see. You know, like flash fiction and all that kind of stuff. So my answer to the question is, um, I, I don't really know if there is a kind of a, a huge clamour for it or an appetite for it, as the question asks. But without doubt, this is a book that I would, I, I think, is experimental, and it is being nominated for and winning major literary prizes in the UK. Fantastic! That's good to know that it is, a, you know, pushing the boundaries. That's what it's all about: writing something new. Absolutely, I recommend it. It's fascinating, and also, yeah, like I say, just beautifully written. Great. Um, Good one. Let's knock this one on the head. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Thank you, Ian. That was great. So I'm looking forward to Agents Part 2. What do they do? <laughs> so I'll see you next week for that. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at The Flying Poet. I'd love uh, to see people on there, metaphorically. and uh, Or literally, if they've got their photo on there. Yeah, I guess, actually. I'd love to see your profile pics. <laughs> Popping up in my notifications. Indeed. Section. Um, and I would like you to say hello on Twitter at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, and you can find Very Meta, my blog, which is about writing and publishing and stuff, ianbroom.com slash blog. Go there. And that's it. Will do. Fantastic. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yep. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.